it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 81. Tonight, we're going to do something different for us. Tonight, we're going to play you an audio clip, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. So Andrew and I have talked a lot about how we choose companies, where we find our ideas, and things of that nature. And tonight, I thought we would go back and show you the original source where we've gotten our ideas from. And so I'm going to have you listen to an audio clip from Charlie Munger, and he's going to talk about his four filters for choosing an investment. We have to deal in things that we're capable of understanding. And then once we're over that filter, we have to have a business with some intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. And then, of course, we would vastly prefer a management in place with a lot of integrity and talent. And finally... No matter how wonderful it is, it's not worth an infinite price. So we have to have a price that makes sense and gives a margin of safety considering the natural vicissitudes of life. That's a very simple set of ideas. And the reason that our ideas have not spread faster is they're too simple. The professional classes can't justify their existence if that's all they have to say. I mean, it's all so obvious and so simple. What would they have to do with the rest of the semester? One, two, three. All right. So that was fascinating. Uh, Very interesting guy to listen to. Super smart and a little cranky. So it's kind of fun. Uh, I like your comment there at the end. Andrew and I were chuckling about that earlier. It's kind of comical. But uh, so Charlie is being Charlie. So I thought we would break it down and talk a little bit about the different filters there. And we can talk a little bit about those ideas and give you guys a little bit better idea of how to find companies to invest in. So filter number one, filter number one is going to be develop an understanding of the business. Andrew, why don't you chat a little bit about that? And I'll throw my two cents in on that. Yeah, sure. So when I think about business, I think it should always be very, very simple. Business in general uh, has 
a purpose. And I think it gets lost a lot, especially in the stock market. People think, I want to own this business. I want to buy it. I want to buy a piece of it and I want to sell it later for a higher price. And I think that's so backwards. I think you buy a business because you want the profits from it. You want this business to make profits and you want to keep some of those profits. And that's why you buy a business. That's why you invest. That's the that's the goal of a business. I don't really see another goal. People, you know, I might stir up some feathers by, you know, kind of challenging the idea that, uh, that a business is about growing. And, and I don't think that's the case at all. I understand a lot of entrepreneurs kind of have that mindset, but I, I just think it's, uh, a bit too aggressive and, and you, you, you sacrifice a lot of the security that a good business can, can bring you. Uh, and, and you start to separate yourself from where and what defines a business and what it should do for you. So when I think of a business and if I'm thinking just bare bones, what does a business do? What, what should we look for in a business? It's obvious. I think you bring money in, you call that revenue. You obviously have to pay some expenses out. Those are liabilities. Um, and then you, whatever's left is your profit. So I think if you think of business in that way, you, you can start to realize that you can take that approach and you can expand it out to every stock in the stock market because they will post those particular and specific numbers. I think where things start to really, really get kind of diluted and things get really dangerous is when people will take uh, businesses that, that don't show good numbers and then they'll weave a narrative around why they think that this business is not doing bad, even though the numbers show us it's doing bad. So when I think of an example of that, I, I think about Tesla. If you want to see the most creative ideas about finances and, and, and financial accounting, just go on Twitter and search a, a Tesla thread and you'll see people talking about all these different numbers and, and units and manufacturing, all this kind of stuff that, that makes it's like either a, you know, you're really an expert in this business and you understand it really, really well, or B you're just, you know, it's such a complicated business and in reality it's not doing well. And you're just creating all these ideas to why you think it's doing well. So I think this point where we should understand the business is very very key. Uh, there should there shouldn't be a hundred million things that need to go right in order for there to be a profit. And so I think as investors, especially starting out, you can really eliminate a lot of worry, headache, stress, and potential mistakes by just looking for the businesses that are already profitable and the ones that you know if if they're simple and and I see green essentially right I, I see more revenue than expenses well that's a really good sign and i think it's something to look for i agree and the simple part of it i think is is something that sometimes gets lost and uh, both warren buffett and charlie margaret talk a lot about this in their letters in their speeches in their meetings about a circle of of competency and staying within that realm and that's one of the things that I think separates them from a lot of people is that they do an outstanding job of finding companies that they can understand and feel like as they start to dive into the numbers, they understand what it is that they make, what it is that they sell and how that can work. And 
I, one of the things that I know Munger talks a lot about is reading, 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 reading. And when he's looking at trying to understand a business, he'll do things like he'll read the shareholder letters. He'll look for letters from the CEO. He'll obviously read the 10K and the 10Q and any other financial filings, but he'll also go to the website of the particular company and see what kind of products they make. Because it's one thing to look at, for example, Hormel and go, oh yeah, I've heard of them, but do you really know what it is that they produce or what they make. And so by just simply going to the website and perusing the different products that they sell and following that logic of just kind of learning as much as you can about the business and understanding what the business is and what it is that they do, once you start diving into the financials like Andrew was talking about, it makes that much more sense. And you're like, oh, I get it. And I remember a company that I invested in a couple of years ago uh, called Trinity Industries. When I first started discovering it, I did all my filters that I learned from Andrew and I started doing this very exact thing. I went to the numbers all look great, but I really didn't understand what the business did. And so I knew it was a rail, rail, uh, rail car company, but I didn't know the specifics about it. So I went to their actual website and started reading about the company and the history of the company, where they started, when they started, the CEO of the company, and kind of just gave me a really good feel for the company. And then I started looking at things like their uh, you know, earnings calls and looking at the transcripts of those, listening to a few of them, reading the shareholder letters, reading the letters from the CEO, Wendell Weeks. And all these things that just gave me so much of a better understanding of what the company did. So then when I went back to the, the 10 K and started really diving into how they did, you know, where they learned and not where they learned, but where they, where their money came from. And so I could, when I looked at the different segments, it made more sense because I understood what the products were that they sold. And the same thing applied when I, when I invested in Corning, I did the exact same thing. So by simple, we don't necessarily mean that it's like, you know, they make crayons and that's all they do. You know, we're talking about trying to find companies that you can understand and you can wrap your brain around what it is, the products that they sell. And like Andrew was saying, Tesla, sometimes there's so much narrative around what the company does that it gets lost in what they actually do. And the key is to try to find businesses that you can understand and that you can when you start looking at the financials, it makes sense that this is what they sell, that, that they make this widget and they sell it. And that's, oh, okay. You know, or this particular part of their business is really struggling and you look and you see that, well, that's not really a major core part of their business. So it's, you know, ideally not going to affect the earnings and the revenue of the business that much. So all those different things can help you understand the business. And I think that's really a key component to investing because again, you're buying a business. You're not buying a piece of paper. You're not buying a ticker. You're buying a company. You're a part owner of the business. And that's really where they're coming from with that. All right. I'd like so, to add, sorry, I'd like to add one last little quick tip. Yeah. One way that you can really quickly see a breakdown of how companies actually making money is oftentimes they'll have uh, I like to just like control F. I, I love using control F when I'm looking through a 10 K it's, it's just the search function. Usually on most computers, I would imagine. And I like to search for segments, segment, something like that. Uh, you can also look at like the notes for the income statement. Oftentimes they'll show 
they'll just show how what how the exact numbers break down. So you know, if if we have back to the Hormel example, if we have uh, a refrigerated food section, we have a chicken section, we have a turkey section. Let's say so it will they will lay out exactly how much revenue, how much profits is coming from each of those segments. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. And it's not something that's like universally audited, um, like revenue and, and earnings. Uh, so it might be different depending on the business, but that might help you understand to what proportion certain products that they offer uh, really contribute to the bottom line. And I think that can be really helpful. Oh, that's a great tip. That's, that's awesome. I, d- I actually didn't know that little trick. So thanks. <laughs> that's going to be helpful. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> that's going to be helpful. No kidding. <laughs> All right. So moving on, uh, filter number two, does the company have a durable competitive advantage, i.e. a moat? Andrew, why don't you take that one? Sure. So we covered this pretty in-depth a couple episodes ago. The concept's really simple, right? It, I'll explain it a different way today, which I didn't really touch on before. This is something that I've just kind of observed. Um, but when you 
I, I don't know like how it works at, at certain other companies, but from what I've seen, I think uh, businesses, when they have meetings where they're kind of informing their employees of how the business is doing, a lot of times I've seen businesses talk about the market. They talk about market share. Uh, you should see it in like investor presentations as well, where these businesses talk about market share. And what that is essentially is you have a marketplace. Uh, let's let's say we have the, the chicken market and you have a bunch of major players in there. And then, you know, if if the whole market is a hundred billion in, in revenue and your company is making fifty billion of that, then then you have a fifty percent market share. So when you think about market share and why that's important. And the dogs go off in the background. The reason why market share can be really important is um, it, it's. It, I've observed that the businesses that are like one ranked one, two, and three tend to really kind of stay that way as a, as an industry matures. Um, a lot of the players kind of get consolidated, and it's usually the leaders and and the ones that are right there, like the number two, number three. Those are the ones uh, when the dust settles. It, it, it there tends to be three big ones, and a lot of the smaller ones tend to get lost in the wash. That's not like a perfect scientific observation. That's just something as a general trend when when you talk about the life, the typical life cycle of companies and industries. Uh, this is how a lot of times it can play out. So when you have a company who has a competitive advantage, especially a durable one. Um, being number one in market share, that's a competitive advantage of its own. And so what that can do, obviously, is keep a company just like the sure financials of being in that position, help a company stay competitive. And uh, to give another example, let's say um, we're the number one business in chicken and another company that's really small comes out and they have the best competitive advantage uh chicken that that is like selling like hotcakes okay what we can do because we're the number one in market share is we we have a lot of money and we can buy that business out and now that durable competitive advantage is now ours instead of another businesses so there's a lot of different ways that a, a company or a business can have a competitive advantage i think being the number one player or the global leader, you'll, you'll hear these terms and they'll talk about it. You know, if a company is a market leader in their industry, they're not going to be shy about it. They'll usually put it in one of the first lines of their 10 K when, when they're talking about what their business is about, they'll often say, we are the leader in manufacturing this. And that's a huge competitive advantage. And so that works both ways too, right? For the big company and the small company, the big company has a competitive advantage because it's big and it's the leader. Uh, and the small company, if they can create a competitive advantage, then they can be bought out. And, and that's great for shareholders too, right? So either way, where you're investing in a business that has a competitive advantage, whether it's through the product or through their position in the market, you as an investor win. Because uh, a lot of times when companies get bought out, uh, it, it comes with a premium. And so as an investor, you're going to get that extra premium as gains. So something to keep in mind, another kind of spin on competitive advantages uh, but it's 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 obviously a great thing to look for um, it can be one of those things that that's a forward indicator where if, if there's a competitive advantage then good results are likely to follow assuming everything else is in place they're not 
aggressively leverage. They're, they don't have huge headwinds or anything. But you know, a lot of times, a good competitive advantage can lead to great financial results later. And that's really where I think Buff and the Munger are talking about. To get you good results down the line, good financials obviously mean good returns at the end. So, Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, the thing that I like about what uh, Buffett and Munger have done with moats and they talk a lot about moats and, and what they look for and the different ideas behind uh, moats. Uh, Charlie Munger had an interesting uh, story that I was reading about recently. He was talking about moats and he had somebody ask him, how do you identify a moat? And he says, uh, you want me to explain you a difficult subject of identifying moats? It reminds me of a story. One man, one man came to Mozart and asked him to write a symphony. Amadeus Mozart, obviously a very famous guy. Mozart replied, you are too young to write a symphony. The man said, you were writing symphonies when you were 10 years of age, and I am 21. Mozart said, yes, but I didn't run around asking people how to do it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting response, very Charlie Munger-esque. Uh, so, you know, when they talk about moats, they talk about they don't build them. And because as Charlie says, it's way too hard to build them. It's much easier to buy them. And so they spend all of their time trying to find companies that create moats and they look for great managers that are going to help build those moats because that's really what it takes is, you know, superior management and a little luck. You think about guys like Bill Gates, Ray Kroc, Sam Walton, Jeff Bezos. They have all created fantastic businesses that have, you know, amazing moats. Just because a company has a moat doesn't mean it's going to last forever. I mean, you look at Kmart, you know, in the last recent years and Sears, especially they were king of the world, especially in the low cost arena. But then along comes Walmart, who's smarter, faster and better and kicks their butt. And now Kmart's gone and Sears is gone. And Kodak, Kodak was king in cameras and film and everything. And then all of a sudden, this little thing called the iPhone came along, and now everybody and their brother can take their own pictures. So just because a company has a moat now doesn't mean it will forever. And that's one of the tricks is to try to find a company that you think will have a competitive advantage for a very, very long time. So when you look at Apple, when you look at Amazon, some of those companies, you you anticipate that they're going to have a moat for a very long time, but you always have to keep in mind it will not last forever. It does not last forever. I mean, the Roman Empire fell. Walmart will fall someday, too. So uh, not trying to be Mr. Doom and Gloom, but just, you know. Well, now I'm all depressed, so thank you. <laughs> all, <depressed. laughs> all right. So if you want, if you want a number on that, actually, um, yeah. I can't remember where I read this, but it was it was a good book. I only read good books. Okay, of course you do. Uh, they said something about the average corporation time, like life expectancy. Life I guess is about forty years. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay, that's pretty amazing. I mean, you think yeah. about that. That's it's really that's like a generation ish. Yeah, that's so that, it. to your point, it's not forever, too. Right. Yeah. For sure. But but, you I, know. I. I, I I guess another example of that is, you know, the the book that we referenced a while back, your S and P five hundred book, when you're talking about the top ten companies in the S and P five hundred back in the 
60s, was it? Late 60s? Yeah, uh, I don't have it in front was of me, this, yeah, it was 60s or 70s. Yeah, so you look at the top 10 companies back then, comparing them to now, they're not there. A lot of them aren't around anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so moving on, uh, <laughs> filter number three, uh, is there management in place with integrity and talent? All right, let's let's have you take this one since you have the talent. <laughs> sure. <clears throat> okay. So uh, when we talk about management in place with integrity and talent, this is a tough one. So what I referenced when I was looking into this these ideas, Buffett and Munger both talk a lot about this as a very, very important part of their filtering. Because when they're going to be investing in a company, they're going to be becoming partners with the people that are running the business. Now, Buffett and Munger, when they invest in companies, typically they either invest a large portion of into the company or they buy the company outright. So you and I, I can't do that. <laughs> Andrew may be able to someday, but I can't do that. And so what happens is, is that when they get involved with a company like this, they don't actually take over the company. They buy it and it's theirs but they they keep management in place because they understand that the management that that has brought the company where it is to the point where Buffett and Munger feel like that this is going to make them money, then why upset the apple cart? Why why change things? And when you think about activist investors and and some of the people out there that are kind of taking over companies and then kind of tearing them down or things don't go as well after they take over the company, a lot of times it's because they upset what's already in place. And so two things that Buffett and Munger both look for when they're looking for management is one is they'll look for skin in the game. So a lot of times, a big part of a CEO's investment, or I'm sorry, his compensation is tied up in the performance of the company, i.e. they'll get stock to compensate them for, you know, being involved with the company. And so the better the company does, the more the stock goes up, the more money they're worth. And obviously, sometimes this can lead to some not so great decisions or thinking only of themselves as opposed to the shareholders. But when you're looking at the overall picture of the management, that is one of the things that they look for is whether these people still have skin in the game. Are they investing in their own company? Are they buying shares of their own company? Are they keeping their stock options or are they selling them? And so all those things will go into their calculations and assessments of what what the management is. Then they're also going to look for people that have integrity and a talent, i.e. talent. They're looking for people that are great capital allocators. So they'll be looking for people that can take the money that the company is generating and either use it for dividends to give back to the you know to the investors like us or whether they can take those monies that are being made, the profits, and put those back into the company to create more assets which is going to create more profit. So the better capital allocators they are, the better that they are at using the money that the company is making, the more Buffett and Munger are going to be impressed by them. And they have a gentleman who works for them that works in their insurance arm um, that is uh, Buffett has talked many, many times about what a fantastic uh, allocator this gentleman is and how much money he's made Munger and Buffett. And 
that's really one of the the keys that they look for. And this is not something that gets talked a lot about. And this is more of a quote unquote soft skill. So these are things that are harder to assess via numbers. This is more something that you're going to have to learn as you go along. And reading the letters to the shareholders from the CEOs are great ways to get a tone or a feel for what these people are saying and doing. Another great way to do it is to listen to any sort of conference calls that they may have or speeches that they do, because that gives you a, a, a flavor of what kind of people they are, what kind of speakers they are. And obviously as, as people are CEOs, they're generally going to be great salespeople and they're going to be great at getting everybody pumped up and getting you great ideas and things of that nature. But you're also going to be able to develop a feel for what kind of people they are and whether they can stick to their promises. Now, unfortunately, when you think of Elon Musk, he loves to make promises, but do they always get followed through on? No, not really. And so he gets everybody excited because he's a great communicator and he's a great educator, but his follow through on his promises, it doesn't always materialize. And so that's one of the things that would scare me away from the company is the guy promise over promises and under delivers. And one of the things that Buffett and Munger both look for are people that are going to under promise and overperform. And that is really a huge aspect of what, what to dive into and look for when they're looking for management. You mentioned letters to shareholders. Um, how would, if, if somebody wanted to read that, what's, what's the resource they would go to, to you just like Google it or do you have a place you go to read those? A lot of times I just go to the website of the particular company and they will have under the investor relations, they'll have links to the letters to the shareholders so that you can read them. It's generally, it's either a letter to a shareholder or it's a, you know, a letter from the CEO, or it may be an investor letter. Uh, it could be titled any of those three. And almost every company has one. I know when I worked for Wells Fargo, they put one out every, every quarter. And so it was something I could read every quarter. And I did and read it every quarter just because it was, it was interesting and it gave me an insight into what the CEO was thinking. And it also could sometimes give me an idea of, Hey, these are the things that are coming for me as the layperson on the ground and what's going on. But that's always where I found them. It's just by going to the website of that particular company, whether it's Disney, Hormel, Walmart, Amazon, any of those companies, they all do that. That's really cool. I like that. Uh, I don't have much to add because you covered that really, really well. The only thing I will say is, I guess my turn to be a Debbie Downer, just like we were saying, (laughs) these businesses don't last forever. Neither do CEO or management. So I just did a quick Google and the average CEO, 10 years, about eight years and Mm -hmm. board of directors, which you have to think about those when you're thinking about management. That average is uh, about eight and a half years. looks like 8.7 years for the S&P 1500. So something to keep in mind and maybe something you'd want to check, you know, when there is turnover with management, you know, maybe do a reassessment on how strong is this business still strong and is it still have strong leadership. And on the flip side, you know, you can look at something and say, well, this, this particular CEO has a much longer tenure than the average, um, maybe there's a good reason behind that, right? So that can be maybe an indicator in a way that a management has more talent than somebody else. 
Yep, absolutely. And, and the other aspect of that as well is I always think of it a little bit like uh, football coaches. And you think about, you know, a great football coach, if he does really well with one team and then eventually he, you know, either gets bored or things change and he leaves and he goes to another team and they do well, obviously he's developed a system that's going to produce success. And a lot of times that will happen with CEOs as well, is they will move around. Like you said, the average lifespan is not that long. But a lot of times these guys cut their teeth in other places. Maybe they work in a smaller for a smaller company in the same business realm and then they move up to the the big boys, you know, that kind of thing. So you know, you can also follow the management a little bit as well as you're looking for other companies. You know, if you've invested in a company and the company's done really well and that manager leaves, the CEO leaves to go to another company, it would not be a bad idea to investigate that company that he's taken over and keep an eye on what's going on. Because if he's done, chances are, if he's done well at one company, he will perform well with the other company because he either has a management style or a system that allows him to be successful wherever he goes. Yeah. You think it's a coincidence that Pete Carroll, uh, won championships, you know, USC and then Seattle. No, it's, it's not, it is definitely a coincidence for sure. <laughs> Bill Parcells is another one that springs springs to mind as well. Yeah. He always did really well wherever he went. So yeah, it's yeah. They have systems and they figure out what works and they're able to cross over and do it. So I think Pete Carroll's right. system is going What's to that? the beach and getting sun. Yeah. <laughs> that might have something like to do with it. Stereotypical yeah. surfer. Yep, exactly. All right. So moving on, we have filter number four, uh, a business with an attractive price with a margin of safety. Why don't you go ahead and tackle that one, Andrew? Yeah, sure. So everything we try to do with the podcast, right? Always talking about margin of safety, always talking about price and valuations. In my opinion, this is the most important filter out of the four. Obviously, two of them are kind of like the soft skills, like Dave mentioned. Two of them are more, um, you know, two of them are more kind of black and white, kind of in your face type of deal. And this one is is very, very important. And it's not something that's just unique to Munger or just unique to Buffett. There's so many investors with billions of dollars and great track records who all talk about, in one way or another, they're talking about margin of safety, whether they're talking about just buying undervalued stocks, buying stocks cheap, buying stocks low, being a contrarian investor, however you want to label it. Uh, that's the central idea and the central focus. Something that comes to mind is what's really nice when you buy something at a cheap price you're kind of anchoring your investment in at that price and so as the compounding happens you've already uh started with like a head start on the starting line so as you know as as these cash flows continue to come in as those grow as those dividends grow all of that when you start at a higher level you start with a higher dividend yield you start with uh you know more earnings as a proportion to how much you're paying for the investment you're just getting a huge advantage and as time goes on that advantage just increases and so it's so so important where you enter because that can make a very very big difference in the ending result that you get you you talk about 
if if you want to, you know, if you're like a spreadsheet numbers person, you want to go in and and play around with what's the difference between something growing at let's say ten or fifteen percent, and you start, uh, you know, at a yield of like four percent, you start a yield at like. 0.5%. There's going to be a huge difference in how much income you're receiving over the years and, and how fast that grows and, and how fast it really expands and, and multiplies to, to a big amount. There's a big difference depending on where you start. And so when you buy stocks with a margin of safety, those tend to have higher yields. You tend to get, you're getting more earnings generally. You're getting more assets. All these things, all these valuations and and those assets those earnings those revenues that's if you're a business owner you have to think those are yours and so whether that's dividends now in the present that you're receiving as part as a consequence of those profits or whether that's the company growing and and really growing quickly and growing at a better level than other companies and then maybe paying out high dividends later where wherever that falls wherever that may be Really getting in on the ground floor and getting in at a great price enables all of that great compounding to happen. So it's, it's huge. Uh, there's so much data, so many studies done about it, and it just makes a lot of sense. If you can get these businesses cheap, you get good businesses, you combine these four filters, I think it's a great formula for success. Uh, obviously, admittedly, they're not as easy as it sounds, but I think these are all things you can learn and, and experience and you know you could take one thing right you could take one simple business and just because you understood it now all of a sudden you know it could be just that one factor that that leads to a stock that just creates all these great profits and gains for you or you could happen to just pick a great management and see that right away and and because of that one factor it becomes a fantastic investment so all things I think to keep in mind and obviously coming from one of the greats, it's not something to sneeze at. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on the four filters of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. It was a little fun. It was a lot of fun to do that tonight. I enjoyed listening to the words from the master and then Andrew and I talking a little bit about it. So I hope you guys learned a thing or two. Have a great week. Go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. And we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.